Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Listening to that uh, song, or when we read this together in a moment, you might think, well, that sounds really familiar. You remember what the, what was that, New York Yankees catcher, Yogi Berra, what he used to say? It's deja vu all over again, right? And you might have a little sense of that tonight. The superscript of uh, Psalm 108 says it's a Psalm of David, and that makes sense because... Um, what Psalm 108 is here, it's a combination of two other psalms that God inspired David to write. Verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 108, they're from Psalm 57, 7 through 11. Verses 6 to 13 of Psalm 108 are from Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. Now, why did the Holy Spirit inspire David to take two sections from previous psalms and combine them <clears throat> into a new one here. Well, we don't know for sure, uh, but we do know, as Charles Spurgeon once said, uh, we can be sure that the Holy Spirit is not short of expressions, uh, so short that he needs to repeat himself. Uh, the repetition cannot be merely to just fill this book and give us another psalm. There's got to be some intention and this arrangement of two former sections of God's Word into a new connection here. And that's true, isn't it? The Holy Spirit has an intent here for repeating himself. God has a reason to give us the truth of Psalm 57 and 60. Uh, again, here in Psalm 108, this psalm describes the faith of a fixed heart. Is that something we need to hear about more than once? Yeah. Um, do threats to our faith come more than once our way? Come all the time, all day, every day. Um, so it's probably a good thing to be reminded of God's truth again as well. Let's read it, Psalm 108. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth, that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and mete out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, who has cast us off? And wilt not thou, O God, go forth with our hosts? Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Let's pray. God, we come to this song um, that you have designed for us to hear again, a study again, and we need to. 
meditate on its truth again. Uh, we need to learn what it means to have the faith of a fixed heart, a steadfast heart. Uh, we need to constantly be reminded of your steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ. And um, Lord, I, I pray that the truth you have for us here in this song, uh, we would understand it, uh, we would apply it to our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, verses 1 and 2, David's describing the condition of his heart. That's a direct quote from Psalm 57, where David says, Oh God, my heart is fixed. And that's a great way, I think, to start this psalm. Uh, what a great way to begin a prayer to God. If we'd say, God, my heart is fixed. Isn't that our greatest need? To have our heart fixed? To have a, a heart that's been broken by sin? A, a heart that... God's word says is desperately wicked. Who can know it? To have a heart like that be fixed by God through trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior reminds me of a, there's an old Southern gospel song. Said, I know a man who can. You know that song? It said, I can't take a heart that's broken and make it over again, but I know a man who can. I can't take a soul that's sin sick, wash it white as snow, but I know a man who can. The man is Jesus Christ. There was a time when David's heart needed fixing, same with you and I, and only Jesus can do that, right? Yeah. Of course, that's not what fixed means here in verse 1, just as it was sung there. And if you have a modern translation, it probably says something like, my heart is steadfast, and that's the idea here. David's saying, God, my heart is steadfast. It's firm. All of my thoughts, my desires, and my will, they're firmly focused on you, Lord. And that's a good way to start the psalm or any prayer or any day. My thoughts, my desires, my will, they're all firmly focused on you, God. That's the condition here of David's heart in Psalm 108. And when this is a condition of your heart, do you know what erupts from your heart? Praise. <laughs> the rest of verse 1 and verse 2, I will sing and give praise, even with my glory, meaning with everything I have, with all of my intellect, with all of my skill, with all my resources. David's not just here and catching himself going through the motions during the worship time. No, he's purposefully, intentionally giving God praise. He says, awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. Now, that might be a word here for some of us, getting up early. Do you awake early to praise God with your whole being? I know some of us are more naturally morning people, and others are not, right, Krista? <laughs> but uh, and it's not; she's not alone. I know some of others of you who I've seen coffee cups that have graded levels on them that inform everybody else when they can finally interact with you. You know, <laughs> not yet, not yet. okay now. Um, and and. I know that early here in the King James translation might be a relative term, but it's a little more clear in the Hebrew. It says, I will awaken and harp the dawn. So it does mean early. Uh, remember, David is testifying here of the condition of his heart. And so there's this principle given to us here. There's definite application we can make in our own lives. Uh, but no, you don't have to literally grab your harp. And that's a good thing because most of you don't have one. Uh, you don't have to set an alarm for sunrise to praise the Lord, to have uh, the condition of David's fixed heart here. But the principle still applies to you and I. A heart that wakes up in the morning and is fixed on the Lord and praising him, 
that is going to impact the condition of your heart the rest of the day, isn't it? Yeah. And so we'll wake up, waking up with a heart that's not fixed on the Lord or fixed on someone else or something else. Uh, the praise that God is worthy of, even before our feet hit the floor in the morning, uh, it will not erupt from an unfixed heart. I can tell you that. David's praise now goes from pub private to public. Uh, in verse 3, he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I'll sing praises unto thee among the nations. So we got two different audiences here uh, that hear the communication of David's heart. First of all, the people and then the nations. They hear David praise his Lord. First of all, the people. In the Old Testament, it's always a description of God's people. When you come across that word, the, the people, it's talking about God's people. So this would correlate to you and I praising the Lord amongst other believers. Do you do that when we sing together? Are you participatory or are you a spectator? I know some people don't or won't because they think, well, I got a terrible voice. I think Moses said something like that to God once, right? And what did God tell him? Who made your voice? Who made it? So we're to make a joyful noise, if that's what it is, to the Lord, right? And um, do we do that when we sing together? Are you doing that? God's people need to see you do that and hear you do that. You should praise the Lord with the voice he gave you. Secondly, David commits to praise the Lord among the nations. In the Old Testament, that would always refer to those who are not God's people, at least not yet. Um, but, you know, they just might hear about the Lord and place their faith in him for salvation if they would hear us praise him, right? That's why we're to do it not just amongst believers. We're to praise the Lord amongst those who don't know the Lord yet. I have had unbelieving, unchurched friends that I've noticed this impacted. I remember bringing one friend to church one time, invited him. I was actually kind of shocked he showed up. Never went to church before in his life. And he watched everybody stand a few times and sing and then sit down and then later on stand and sing. And um, he was a little shocked. I mean, that's something that doesn't really happen anywhere else when you think about it. I mean, apart from maybe the national anthem at a ball game or a school choir or obviously a concert, but like on a weekly basis, um, it's rather rare in our culture. And I think it's a unique witness of the church that can impact people when they see it happen. Now, it doesn't only have to be in church. That's not the design here. Um, and no, when you have a fixed heart like David has, you don't have to break out in song in the break room at work or, you know, in the office when you're walking down the halls. But do you, when you have the opportunity to communicate with others at work, do you praise the Lord when they say, well, that, wow, you know, that's really, well, you had a turn of events. Things were not going so well, and all of a sudden, um, I'm glad it worked out for you. You say, oh, all glory to God. God did it. Do you take those opportunities to point them to Jesus Christ, to praise him among the nations when you interact with them and you talk about the things of life? Do you praise the Lord? Do you point them to the source of your life and your joy and your peace? Do you seize those opportunities to praise the Lord among the nations who don't yet know him? And here's the message in the communication of David's heart, whether he's singing uh, with God's people or singing amongst the nations. 
It's a great topic that we can communicate to to God's people and those who are not yet his people. Verse 4, this is the message. This is what he's singing about. This is what he's praising. He says, for your mercy is great above the heavens, God, and your truth reaches unto the clouds. He's singing about God's mercy and truth. And those two things are reason enough to wake up praising the Lord each morning. They're two wonderful things that we should communicate to everyone that we might encounter. First of all, God's mercy. In the Hebrew, is chesed. Maybe your Bible says steadfast love. That's what it's talking about. God's covenant love promised to those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior to be theirs forever. His steadfast, unending, always going to be their covenant love. And your heart can be steadfast too. When God's steadfast love for you is on your heart and in your mind and on your tongue. And the inverse is also true. Are there times when you feel less than steadfast? Are there times when your heart sure doesn't feel like it's fixed, like it's wavering, unanchored? Well, then start meditating on and communicating the steadfast love of the Lord for you. First of all, to yourself. Remember Pastor John Piper, he said, we, we listen to ourselves way more than we should. What we should be doing is speaking to ourselves. My heart is fixed. There's places in the Psalms where David says that. And it's usually in a situation where it'd be really hard to have a fixed heart, a steadfast heart. Sometimes he repeats it. My heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. Like he's trying to tell himself, talk himself into it. Do you remind yourself of the steadfast love of the Lord, his mercy? And then in praise to God, as we've done here tonight together, and then in praise in front of others, whether it's those who know Christ or those who don't, do you talk about God's steadfast love and his truth? And in a world that has no grasp of truth, in this postmodern, truth is relative, there's your truth and my truth, this, this culture that's drifting about, completely unanchored, aren't you so glad we have the source of objective truth right here? I mean, that is reason to praise the Lord that in his grace he has given this to us. Praise that truth in front of others. When they say, why are you different? Say, well, well I live by this. <laughs> I believe this is alive and it's powerful and this is what brought me uh, to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't live by it perfectly. I strive to. This is my guide. This is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Do you praise God's truth in front of others so they know where to find truth too? What's God's mercy and truth like, according to verse 4? It's infinite. Limitless. That's the message there. It's above the heavens. <laughs> it reaches to the clouds. And that's true, isn't it? What, will you ever exhaust God's mercy? Impossible. Can't happen. Can you ever sin beyond God's mercy? No. What about God's truth? Is there anyone here who says, you know what, I don't really need this anymore. I got it down. I've been in church 10, 20, 30 years. I got it all down. Have you exhausted this? You can't. <laughs> you can't exhaust it. It's limitless. I mean, it'd be ridiculous to say that. Like, I, I've, I've got a good handle on it. I don't need any more of God's truth. And we have both, and we have both without limit. The steadfast love of the Lord, his mercy, and his limitless truth. Those are good reasons to praise the Lord. And the themes that we should be communicating to each other and to those who don't know the Lord. Yeah, and just like God's mercy and truth, David prays and prays 
In verse 5, that God would be exalted above the heavens, just like his mercy and truth. And God is, right? He is exalted above the heavens. So why does David pray that here in this song? Well, David is just asking that what is true already about God, that that would be my perspective. (laughs) That God, in my faithlessness, uh, I wouldn't ever limit you. I wouldn't say, this is too hard for you by the way I think or the things I say or maybe the choices I make. That his glory would be above all the earth, so it's visible to all. We should pray that. And it's recognizable to everyone. And then praise moves to petition in verse 6. It says, that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and answer me. So David prays that God would save him. It's cool here that he refers to himself as the beloved of God. Do you know that's... That is who you are to God, Christian. You're God's beloved. That's a term that's often used when God's Holy Spirit would address the New Testament church. We are the beloved of God. And here's David's prayer as the beloved of God. Deliver me. Save me with your right hand. Answer me. Now, David did not know (laughs) that centuries later, a descendant of his would be born named Jesus Christ. He knew that a Messiah was coming. He had faith in God's promise, coming Messiah, Savior, who would be Jesus Christ. But David says, save with your right hand. And isn't that beautiful? Because who is there right now at God's right hand? Jesus Christ. The right hand of God throughout the Old Testament, always uh, pictured as the hand of powerful mercy, where God brings us in. And that's who Jesus is for us. Jesus, he's our confident hope of salvation. He's a reason <laughs> He is the reason we can have a fixed, steadfast heart. He's the greatest example of God's steadfast love for us. That's what we're told in in Romans 8. Oh, thank God for verse 28, where we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's for Christians. All things work together for good. And that's hard to believe sometimes because we go through things that just sure don't feel good. And so three or four verses later, in verse 32, God gives us this thing that really supports Romans 8, 28. He says, he who did not spare his own son, <laughs> how is he not going to give you freely all good things? So when you, when you doubt Romans 8, 28, thank God for Romans 8, 32, that reminds you of the steadfast love of God for you in Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 108 closes in the second half with verses 7 to 13, where we see the confidence of David's heart. I noticed uh, the song y'all sang, and the one, I think it's Ellie Holcomb's song. She limited to verses 1 to 6. I don't know if anybody's put verses 7 to 13 <laughs> to words, because it's a little weird, right? It's got some uh, strange terms in there, strange phrases. But it's David's expression of the confidence in his heart. It began with praise, and then in verse 6, moved to a prayer for salvation. We don't know what specific deliverance David was in need of here. But think about David's life. Was it not full of opportunities for God to come through? Yeah, David had some, some struggles. He went through some difficult times. And in these closing verses, David expresses confidence uh, from his fixed, steadfast heart, a confidence that God would come through. He would save, as he prayed for there in verse 6. He would deliver. And what is the basis for, God's, for David's confidence here? What is the basis for it? God's word. And then what it says in 
Verse 7, God's promise. God has spoken in his holiness. And if God said it, I'm going to believe it. God has spoken in his holiness. This is what God said. I will rejoice. I will devise Shechem. I'll mete out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the strength of mine. Had Judah is my lawgiver. If you have a New King James Version Bible or a Holman Christian Standard, all those my and mine pronouns are probably capitalized because it's God who's speaking. God is saying, that's mine, and that's mine, and I'm the one who uh, parcels out all of these places. God owned these locations, and he promised to give them to his people. And we know that throughout the Old Testament, there's instances where other nations would rise up, and they would go against God's people. They'd fight them. They'd try to remove them from these places, try to occupy these locations, but they were God's. Nevertheless, and they were God's to do with as he pleased. Under David, during his reign, under his son Solomon, these places were, were all under David's rule, all part of Israel. And even the uh, other surrounding nations that were so often a threat to God's people, they're under God's sovereign control. That is why David can have confidence here. In verses 9 through 10, he's talking about Moab and Edom and Philistia. These are all nations that constantly pestered God's people, tried to lead them away from the Lord and into idolatry. But God says here in some very descriptive cultural language that they would not succeed in the end. He says Moab is a wash pot. So the, the thing that you would use to wash somebody's feet and Feet were kind of considered dirty there. And, you know, Jesus took that wash basin and the robe and towel and he washed his disciples' feet, lowest of the possible chores that a slave or a servant could be assigned. Uh, God's saying here, you, Moab will be in servitude to you. Edom will be dishonored. And you might remember, most of you probably remember during the Gulf War, uh, Iraq, I think it was in Iraq. Um, President Bush went over there one time and some crazy Iraqi guy took off a shoe and threw him at him. Because that that's in that culture, in this Middle Eastern culture, that's a sign of, of dishonor. And so God's saying Edom's going to be dishonored. Philistia, boy, they gave Israel a lot of problems. David slew Goliath, but before that and after that, they were a constant source of aggravation for God's people. And here God says Philistia is not going to triumph over you. And I've taught you before about the connection to the promised land and to you and I as Jesus followers. God offers us new life in Christ right now. Here and now, on this earth, once we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, he holds out this life of victory over sin. No longer are we in bondage to the power of sin in our lives. God holds it out to us just like he held out the promised land to his people. And he says, go in and take it. <laughs> go in and conquer. I give it to you. It's all yours. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight with you. And there are Moabs and Edoms and Philistias in our life that God calls us to conquer and calls us to kick out of everything he's provided for us, everything he desires for us in following Jesus Christ, living in victory, living a crucified life, living a Christ-like life. There are things that need to go if we're going to enjoy everything God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. And God says, go in and conquer it. Go in and take it. You can do it through my power. And a heart that's fixed on steadfast, the steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ, it believes that. And it acts on it. 
Verse 10, David mentions probably the strongest, most fortified threat that he knew in his day. It was, it calls it here the strong city of Edom. Some of you have been over there. Likely this is referring to Petra, that, that little city that was, car- well, not little, but a huge city that was carved into a rock. It's, there's a valley there. It's carved into this rock. Uh, impregnable, like as far as military strategy goes. But David says in verse 11, it's not. It's not. Will not thou, God? Well, you're going to lead us into Edom, into that strong city. Right after that, it says, Will not thou, O God, who has cast us off? And David's saying, look, there have been losses here. There have been battles that were fought in our own strength, and they were not won. And it seemed like God had cast us off, but now with confident heart, David confesses that God and God alone would help David and God's people would take that enemy too. There was nothing that was too big, nothing too strong for them. And so this should be our cry too in verse 12. God, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. It's vain. Totally worthless. Without hope, depending on human beings. That's the strength of man. That's the help of man. But what about God? What, what is it like when we have God? Through God, we shall do valiantly for he it is that shall tread down our enemies do you have a fixed heart tonight is it steadfast because it's centered on God's steadfast love for you and Jesus Christ have there been times when you have to say my heart is not altogether all that fixed all that steadfast there's times when the worries in this life have it waffling between confidence in God and self-reliance or reliance on something or someone else, would you communicate to God tonight? Say, I, I want it to be fixed. I want it to stay steadfast. Are there things in your life that you know need to go if you're going to truly enjoy everything that God has provided for you in Jesus Christ? Enemies that are uh, pestering you and causing you to be drawn away from the Lord. Enemies that need to be kicked out. Battles that to this point don't have a winning record because you have been trying to do it in your own strength. Verse 13 said, through God we shall do valiantly. He shall tread down our enemies. So let's let God fix our hearts tonight. Tell God that right now. Say, God, fix my heart. (laughs) Make it steadfast. Focused on your steadfast love for us in Jesus. As Tommy and the praise team come Uh, We have opportunity to communicate praise to God, just like we are told to do here. We have opportunity to...